What's up, y'all? This is John Lawrence with Anesthesia Guidebook. This is episode 83, Positive Deviance as a Catalyst for Change with Dr. Sherry Burke. This episode was originally released on January 26, 2016 on the podcast from the head of the bed. I'm bringing it forward here as part of a short series I've been doing on the business of healthcare. So in episode 79, you heard from Sakate Agarwal and Dr. Naveen Goyle of Offer Health on what the future can look like for anesthesiologists how to diversify your career and leverage your value as a provider beyond the operating room. We then had an excellent rundown in episode 80 on how to do 1099 anesthesia work by Sandra Gailyard, a CRNA in North Carolina. She talked about how to make the transition from working as a W-2 employee to becoming a 1099 independent contractor and a bit on working in a rural solo CRNA practice. We then heard from Tracy Young in episode 81, who is a CRNA and the CEO of YPS Anesthesia Services, a multi-state anesthesia practice. He is one of my favorite communicators on the business of anesthesia, and we talked about everything from billing and reimbursement practices, how to win your first anesthesia contract and start your own business, and the character and integrity it takes to be successful in the business of anesthesia. And then in the last episode, 82, we caught up with Desiree Chapel and Randy Moore of North Star Anesthesia to talk about change management in healthcare. I received a message from a chief CRNA this last week who loved the talk with Desiree and Randy and wanted to find more great content on change management, healthcare leadership, and business. So if you're in that camp, I would highly recommend a couple of other podcasts to you. Jason Duprat is a CRNA who runs an all-business-focused podcast called the Healthcare Entrepreneur Academy Podcast. And then Mike McKinnon and Joe Rodriguez are CRNAs and business owners who co-host a podcast called Anesthesia Deconstructed. Mike just put out a three-part conversation with Randy Moore that's one of the best conversations on the business of anesthesia that I've heard in a very long time. And then Desiree Chapel, who was on our last show, co-hosts her own show called Top Med Talk, which has lots of content on the business of healthcare. And I should also mention the podcast Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce, who have amassed an incredible collection of interviews on the history of anesthesia in the United States and lots of other content on the business of anesthesia in healthcare. Jeremy is a certified financial planner whose company, CRNA Financial Planning, focuses solely on CRNAs, and he's done a number of shows on personal business and finance on their podcast. So those are some other outlets. There has never been a better time in healthcare where content is as available as it is now. When I started from the head of the bed in 2015, it was one of very few active shows being produced on anesthesia and maybe the only one produced by CRNAs. Now you can find content all over the place. There is no lack of content. The challenge is to sift through and find the stories that are truly compelling and that are delivered in a way that is not awful. The goal of Anesthesia Guidebook is to equip you, the listener, to be the hero of your story. The goal is not my own ascension or status or income. That would be fruitless, petty, short-sighted, and worst of all, uninteresting. Now, the goal here is to build something that you find valuable for your profession and journey as an anesthesia provider. The point of this show is to help inspire and equip you to master your craft as a provider and point to opportunities that you could take and run with. Whether that's in your clinical practice or education and research or the business of healthcare, there's so much possibility out there to engage in a meaningful journey as an anesthesia provider. And hopefully this show will inspire you and light a fire in you to pick up a path and follow it and build something amazing wherever you are. 
And with that, let me tell you about this show and then we're going to get to it. So Dr. Sherry Burke joins me to unpack how positive deviance can be a catalyst for change in healthcare. Positive deviance is all about looking for what's going right and then transferring those lessons to other opportunities, processes, and providers to improve outcomes and performance. Think about this. Aggressive action and investigation is the norm when something goes wrong. Think about when a Sentinel event happens. There's mandatory reporting, root cause analysis or RCAs, critical incident debriefs, and a concerted effort to prevent errors and improve processes in the future. Positive deviance is a process of applying a similar degree of effort to what's working right. Can we find the high performers, figure out what they're doing well, and then transfer those techniques, processes, and beliefs to other domains? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So Dr. Sherry Burke completed her Master of Science in Nursing at DeSales University, her doctorate in nursing practice at LaSalle University, a postdoc fellowship in patient safety at the VA Medical Center in Philadelphia, and is currently a PhD candidate at Duquesne University. Dr. Burke has a long background in education in nursing and anesthesia, and she's currently the director of the School of Nursing at Loyola University in New Orleans. Dr. Burke and I work together at Maine Medical Center in Portland, Maine, and have also taught alongside one another with Cornerstone Anesthesia Conferences. A fun fact is that Sherry is actually who connected me with Jamie Reuter, the CRNA who founded Cornerstone Anesthesia Conferences and who gave me my first shot at teaching other CRNAs at continuing education conferences, something that I've been doing since about the time that this podcast came out back in 2016. So with that, let's get to the show. Dr. Burke, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, John. We're here to talk about this idea of positive deviance, and there's a lot of different definitions and perspectives on positive deviance in business and healthcare and other areas. Uh, tell me a little bit about what positive deviance is and what got you interested in studying it. Positive deviance has its roots in sociology. The first accounts of positive deviance were in nutrition, and the Stearns, who were big people with Save the Children were brought into Vietnam and they were sent there to investigate and help with malnutrition in Vietnam. Up until that time, people had been subsidizing food in Vietnam. It was going to stop. It stopped and they had serious malnutrition. So when they went in, they were only given three months to make a change. Wow. And three months to change anything, you know, even in healthcare, to change something in three months is very difficult. So they went in and they did what sociologists do. They observed. So they went to all these remote villages and they looked at the children. And they wanted to see in these very poor villages, were there some children with all the same obstacles and circumstances? Were some of them thriving? They weren't sure what they would find, but they found that there were. Mm -hmm. So then they said, what are they doing differently that their children are thriving and it wasn't all the children in the village. It was maybe three out of, you know, 150 children in this wow. very remote village. So they observed the parents. And most of these parents were working in the rice fields. And what they noted was some of the parents would occasionally be bending down and picking something up and putting it in their pocket. Uh -huh. What this was were shrimp, crawdads, crabs that were swimming by. And so they would then go home at night. And it was not the norm in Vietnam at this time to put protein with the rice. Right. And they were giving their kids protein. So let's take that to healthcare. 
So to jump in there, it ended up uh, with huge... Huge success. Right. They taught the other people in the village what they were doing. So the solution in positive deviance, the solution is usually there. Already in the community. In the community. Already in the community. Uh You just have to figure it out and then let the community share the knowledge and the right, wealth right. and what works and share right. the solution. So the same thing in healthcare. A lot of nurses, a lot of medical people have very good ideas and they know what needs to be done. But how do you channel it and how do you get people to be positively deviant? We talk about deviance and you think about deviance, not deviance, but deviance. They're negative. That's bad. They're your sociopaths. They're your people who wind up on the news for bad things, who wind up in prison. You know, we have a whole judicial system filled with deviants. And um, so it has a very negative connotation. But I like to think of deviance and deviation as a spectrum. Uh And in the center, you have deviance. You can deviate negatively and wind up in jail. Or you can deviate positively and make a major impact on society on your work environment for your patients. If you take what's expected, but you take it to that next level and find creative, innovative ways to do what's expected, but do it even better. Which I think is a really interesting concept when you look at the idea of deviance being a spectrum of uh, effects or outcomes. How, How does this apply in healthcare when you think about focusing on positive deviance versus what can be termed as negative deviance. Absolutely. So negative deviance tends to be where quality improvement and quality assurance usually looks at things. They look at actions, who was closest to the patient when something happened. It was probably their fault. They And these they, are problems for or root, errors right, or negative Right, cause analysis and all of that. Whereas rather than we're getting a little bit further away from it and we're getting closer to more positive deviation of looking at systems approaches and how we can prevent errors from happening and Human errors are not usually what the cause is. It's more of a system error. The other thing that um, applying it to medicine is that I think that we know so much about um, the deviation of normalcy, which was an excellent article by Maria Magro and Rich Prelip. It came out in ANA Journal and Anesthesia and Analgesia the same month. And they talk about deviation of normalcy, and we know this happens in practice. For example, the one that I always give is the anesthesia machine check. Okay. Some people do it. Some people do part of it. Some people don't do it. Some people just do whatever they have to do to make sure the stamp on the time of the machine (laughs) says today's date. Yeah, sure. Which doesn't necessarily mean you had to do the whole machine check. Right. Some people do just what the computer tells them to do, but they still don't disconnect the oxygen from the supply line so they don't hear that oxygen fail alarm. Right. Some people never check the O2 tanks uh-huh. on the back of the machine because, you know, we've never had that happen. So you assume that it's, it's be always going to be working. And that is what happened to the space shuttle Challenger. Hmm. They knew there were problems with the O-rings. A couple of times they canceled the space shuttle launch, but it went up, it came back, the foam and the O-rings were problems, but it didn't seem to be a big deal. So yeah. maybe we were wrong. Maybe those pieces are not that important. And then we, of course, know what happened to the space shuttle challenge. Yeah, tragedy. Tragedy. Anesthesia 
is ripe for tragedy if we continue to allow negative deviation. So what happens with deviation of normalcy, you no longer believe that these are the steps that have to be done because for a year now, you've never done that step in checking your anesthesia machine and nothing has happened. So now we have to prove to you that your way of doing it is wrong. We have to prove that the right way is absolutely necessary. And until there's a catastrophe, people may not realize. So it's it's an interesting concept right. that is hard to quantify. But if you look at the negatives of not doing something and the few steps that it might take, I think it's a, a good way. Right. I think it's I think it's a fascinating idea. Um, I certainly before discussing this podcast with you didn't know a whole lot about the the concept of positive deviance. But I think when you when you consider that so much aggressive action is taken by management teams and, and healthcare systems to understand and kind of to rally when something goes wrong. You think about the idea of a sentinel event. When something goes really bad, it gets the attention of everybody. And we rush in and we try to figure out, you know, where did the fault lie and how can we prevent this from happening? Where did the breakdown lie? And, and one aspect of positive deviance from reading some of the articles that we'll put in the show notes, it talked about putting the same degree of effort in looking at when everything goes right. What 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 makes up a complicated system when things are running really smoothly, when patients get safe anesthesia, efficient anesthesia, on time, case turnovers, all those kind of things. What are those things that, that have to be there for things to go really right? And can we promote those things with as much fervor as you know our response to when something goes wrong? So... To give you an example of that, let's just talk about the operating room and how we all work every single day. And um, you may have had a really, really challenging case. And maybe someone said, you, good job, John. And that's as good as it was. Nobody ever says, wow, you know, John did A, B, and C, and D, E, and F happened, and it was incredible, and it was like a well-orchestrated symphony. Everything just flowed beautifully. No one ever really looks at that. That's that's our expectation. That's what we do every day. Right. We expect perfection and knock on wood, most of the time, nurse anesthetists are we very good at getting that high expectation and hitting that bar. The one day you don't hit that bar, that's when they start looking at you. So rather than focusing on negative, we should really focus on what people are doing really well mm-hmm. and saying, you know, John, you're really good at keeping, when you're with Dr. So-and-so and that schedule, what is it that you're doing to keep that schedule on time in that room? Because we have other providers who struggle with maintaining that um, production pressure and keeping that room going. Or you look at um, a challenging case and some people just thrive in that environment. And how do they thrive? And what is it that they're doing that how do they not let that affect them, the surgeons, you know, struggling, and they can seem to tune it out. But they have skills and they have techniques that if right. if we were open to learning from each other and if people were willing to share, because it's not a competition. Right. It's not like, oh, well, I can only, I'm the only person who can do Dr. So-and-so's cerebral aneurysms because right. I do blah, right. blah, blah. Well, for those of us who, when you're on vacation, have to go in there, it would be nice if you could share what it is you of do course. that right. makes such a great outcome and gives us such great anesthetic because then our patients all benefit from it. So it's not a, oh, I'm better or I have a secret. 
it's sharing. And that's what positive deviance is really about, about taking those things that people are doing right and sharing them with everyone so that everyone's doing things to improve our patient's care, our patient's outcome. And in the long run, it improves our environment, our work environment. Everyone's a lot happier when things are going right. And it makes for a better day. That extrapolates to customer service, which we are a service profession. Sure. Our patients feel that. So the way it usually works, though, is, so, John, you do really good, and you keep that that pace going with Dr. So-and-so. So what happens? They give you more cases, right, John? Right. No good deed goes unpunished, as we <laughs> like to say. So you did a really good job. Well, me, I don't do such a good job with Dr. So-and-so. I don't really like working with that person. So I slow down the ball of works. And so what happens? I get rewarded. They don't put me in Dr. So-and-so's room anymore. Right. So you're not really finding a solution to whatever the problem is, whether it's a difficult surgeon or challenging caseloads or flow or whatever it could be. Right. But positive deviance has the ability, if we're willing to share what works and what works better, to improve everyone's work environment. That's great. So in the literature, you know, some researchers have discussed this idea of positive deviance in terms of responsible subversion. So the idea of, you know, deviation from the norm, deviation from the standard of care, that there may be some kind of incident or patient care scenario that perhaps calls for or at least motivates the the healthcare provider to deviate from what's typically done for that person. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the implications of that? Yeah, I think that's a slippery slope when it comes to positive deviance. And I do know that there is stuff in there is information in the literature about people. For example, one of the examples was um, the doctor had ordered a certain dose of pain medication and the average normal dose. But this patient was a very small, frail person. The nurse felt that that was too much. So rather than giving the two milligrams of Dilaudid, she decided to give just 0.25 milligrams of Dilaudid. Now, the order was two milligrams PRN. Sure. It didn't say that you could give less. It didn't say that you could give more. It said two milligrams. So if your patient was having pain and you opted to give them Dilaudid, you were to give them the two milligrams. Right. So this nurse decides that in the best interest of the patient, she could titrate it up to two milligrams. But it would have been better had maybe this nurse felt more comfortable talking to the provider who wrote the order and said, I'm concerned. And if the provider said, no, no, two milligrams will be fine. I'm fine with that. then she said, well, I'm a little uncomfortable with two milligrams. Could you write it such as 0.25 milligrams up to two milligrams PRN and have that conversation? And then we can still deviate positively within our scope of practice. And that's what I advocate. I don't believe that... Because you are believing that you're doing what's right, you can break the rules or go beyond your scope of practice because you're setting yourself up for serious there, there are repercussions. I mean, Absolutely. And that's one of the things and... about positive deviance. People who are positive deviants do set themselves up for risk. For example, um, if you read studies about the cleanliness of anesthesia environments, uh-huh. everyone thinks that you're in the operating room. It's sterile. Right? Everyone thinks it's the cleanest place. Like you could eat off the floors in the operating room. And I <laughs> Until tell, you work in an right, operating I, room. And I tell nursing yeah. 
nurses who are coming to anesthesia this, and they look at me because they've not been in an operating room yet. And I said, it's not as clean as we would like for it to be. So I've read all the studies. I do an excellent lecture on infection control, which I should never have done that research because now I'm really, really concerned about the cleanliness of the places I, I inhabit every day in the operating room. So my positive deviant behavior is that the, in the morning when I go in to my room to set up, the first thing I do is I put on my gloves and I grab the antimicrobial wipes and I clean my work environment. While I'm checking my machine, I multitask. Sure. I'm waiting for my O2 sensor to calibrate. I'm waiting for this to happen. I'm checking my ventilator and I wipe everything down. I clean off the back Pixis cart. I clean off the anesthesia machine. I clean off the electrodes. I know that probably my anesthesia tech has done them, but maybe not to the same extent that I would like them Just to, to be. Just to be sure. I know that I can create positive deviance because then I give them the infection control lecture and I tell these nurses who want to be nurse anesthetists all about all the studies. And what I find is the last thing I tell them, remember, when you leave work that day, you should leave the operating room exactly as you had it for that first patient because you never know. You could be the next patient coming into that operating room if you have yeah, a car it's true. accident. It's true. So I have had students who now are CRNA say to me, Dr. Burke, my operating room is clean because every time I go to leave, I go, I could be the next person coming into this operating room. Would I want to be on that bed with those electrodes, knowing well, what that, MRSA the patient before yeah. me had? And that kind of behavior, too, I think, will, will go a long way with your anesthesia techs or whoever's coming in behind you. So... Typical in-between cases, you know, rely on the text to help clean the room, all that kind of stuff. But oftentimes, if it's my last case of the day, if I know that the techs are busy, we're winding down the day, maybe the evening tech is going to come through and clean everything up, wiping the cables down, taking the trash out will go a long way. To and first thing in the morning, because you never know what was right. on that bed before you're starting with I your know, patient. The bed control. The, exactly. Everyone knows touch. the remote control at the hotel is the dirtiest thing, but we never think about the bed control in the operating room. Right. And so I'm a positive deviant. Perhaps you would call me a germaphobe. So that's where it is risk because people are like, oh my God, Sherry is crazy. She wipes everything down. She And people classify me as sure. a germaphobe. But in reality, I'm a positive deviant because I want to make sure that nothing is transferred from my back cart, which the studies show. Mm -hmm. And I will not reuse a syringe on the same patient. I drop two mLs of fentanyl and I give two mLs, that syringe goes in the wastebasket. Yeah. I understand people believe that we know that it's against our standard of practice. We know it's against the ANA infection control policy. It's against the CDC recommendations, one and only right. campaign. But we know people still do it. Kelly Ford in 2013 had a syringe survey published in the ANA journal. It was shocking in 2013 what people were still doing right. and what was observed. So positive deviants are people who say, no, I'm not doing that. And when you work with me, you're not going to do that for the newer providers. And you have to always think that you're teaching the next generation. So you have to make sure that you're doing things the correct way and you stay up on your practice standards. Sure, sure. So let's go back and, and talk about another perspective on positive deviants. Can you enunciate a little bit about the difference between positive deviance in terms of an individual healthcare provider's practice, some examples that we've been talking about, you know, making sure that your room is clean and those kind of things. And, and positive deviance has also been described as, as a model for um, organizations to look at 
outcome performance and how to study those kind of things within a system and then replicate those those practices elsewhere. So let's just tease that out a little bit and talk about the difference between individual practice and organizational outcome analysis. Sure. So what happens usually with positive deviance is they find that there's someone who's doing something right. For example, there was a gentleman at um, Albert Einstein in Philadelphia. He was a patient transporter. They noticed that this gentleman seemed to have figured out a way when he was caring for MRSA patients to fold his gown up after he was done and put it in the linen and never was cross-contaminating. It was very fascinating that he seemed to take care of a lot of MRSA patients, but every time they would check his hands because they were having a major breakout of MRSA. Uh They would check his hands. They had nothing. So this was a problem. Hospital-acquired infections, problem. So they watched and they observed and then they taught other people, and he was a champion. And that's what it is with positive deviance. You need champions. So then to bring it back to the organization, you have to prove to people that the reason for doing things differently, and you have to have buy-in. So it doesn't work from the top-down approach. It works much better from the bottom up. And then as management, if you see someone doing something that's a little different and having a good outcome, you have to encourage those people. You have to, as we said, give them the praise that they deserve. And people are willing to go above and beyond. Most positive deviants are very committed to their organization that they're working for. They want their organization to succeed. Right. That's why they are champions. But Unfortunately, in healthcare, that's not how it works. We don't give people credit, as we said, for doing things well and doing things right and doing things above what's expected. Right. I think a lot of it when it comes to positive deviance and success in probably any organization is mutual respect, collaboration, and teamwork. And if you can have those three things, you can be very successful and people are willing to listen People are willing to try. People are willing to give it an opportunity and see if it works. The problem is that as human beings, we tend to be negative for some reason. And we tend to feel that maybe we're the only one who's, you know, really passionate about this or have the best interest of the patient at heart. And people don't always share their knowledge or they've been discouraged on different times when they've come right. up with a great idea or in their mind it was a great idea and no one listened. So we have to really encourage innovation. We're at a tipping point in healthcare. We're going to have to do major, major innovation to be successful and to survive in the healthcare arena. So we can't just be black and white. So you think about people who go into healthcare. We're very scientific. It's either black or it's white. Well, we're going to have to be more of the artistic side of things. And I think that's where your positive deviant people are going to help you get to that because they are going to see things differently. They're looking at it from a different focus. And we have to all engage that portion of our brain that allows us to be creative. We're going to have to do it because that's going to make us survive in healthcare. Nurse anesthetists are going to have to be creative. We're going to have to figure out How can we continue doing high-quality care with excellent outcomes, safety, efficiency, and those of us who are not able to do that are going to be like dinosaurs. Hmm. So if you want to survive, you better hitch your wagon to your friend who's probably a positive deviant who somehow has figured this out. And I'm hoping that 
as a profession, we can help other members of our team be positively deviant. That's awesome. Well, anything else that you'd like to share about this idea of positive deviance that we haven't talked about so far? No, I just hope that um, for those people listening to the podcast that it's maybe piqued their interest and maybe they'll do some investigation into it, look at the articles and see if it's something that might help them improve their practice and their patient's care and their institution and organization's outcomes. That's great. So again, the articles will be in the show notes. They talk about not only uh, the idea and concept of positive deviance, but a number of the articles also go through and outline the models of using positive deviance to study quality outcomes and to make those kind of improvements in different departments within the hospital. So all that stuff's in the show notes. Check that out. And Dr. Sherry Burke, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It was truly my pleasure, John. Hey, y'all. John here. If you're digging the show, will you take a couple of minutes and drop a review of Anesthesia Guidebook on Apple Podcasts? Your comments and ratings help other people trust the show. Also, send a link to the podcast to your classmates and colleagues. Word of mouth is the best way for Guidebook to grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.